Lined into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. And welcome inside episode 96 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers. Folks, we have an all-time episode this week featuring a conversation with eight-year MLB veteran pitcher Dan Straley. Dan played the bigs for eight years, came up with Oakland, had many stops along the way, was in Korea for the last couple years. He came on and he told so many great stories. The conversations towards the end about Joey Votto and just like the behind the scenes Joey Votto stories are some of my favorite like podcasting we've ever done. So be sure to stick around for that. It's just a phenomenal interview. Uh, we're definitely going to have Dan back on for part two. That is coming. That guy's the best. Uh, but before we get to Dan Straley, we wanted to give two quick shout outs to two sponsors of this podcast. First is Zero Negative. They are a brand out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do every time. They promote positivity and mindfulness in all of their products. Visit them online at zeronegative.com. And last but not least, one of my favorite brands out there, it is Few Will Hunt. I am rocking the Few Will Hunt shirt right now if you're watching on YouTube. It's a great American company out of Philadelphia, outdoor store, the dignity of hard work. One of my all-time favorite shirts to work out in. Check them out, fewwillhunt.com. That all being said, let's get to the interview this week. Let's send it over to my conversation with Dan Straley. Enjoy. We are now joined by a very, very special guest. It is eight-year MLB veteran pitcher Dan Straley. Uh, Dan, this is awesome. Been looking forward to this one. How are you, and how's your offseason? It's going well. It's going really well. We uh, I live out here in uh, central Oregon, out in kind of middle of nowhere, and uh, it decided to be highs in the 30s all of a sudden this week, so... Uh, winter is here. Uh, Thanksgiving's over. Christmas is next. Uh, I have a six-year-old in the house, so uh, this is like the absolute primo time of year for us as a family. Uh, everything's about getting ready for that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's everything's off and rolling over here. How you doing? I'm great. Yeah, holiday. Just you know, recovering from Thanksgiving. Just trying to get through, make it through Christmas time. A lot of traveling. Um, but no, this is this is great. So, what what's your off season routine like? Do you wait until after like the holidays pass to start your throwing program, or when does that kind of ramp back up? No, I've actually um, so I got home uh, earlier than expected. I guess is the uh, one way to say it. Um, and so I was uh, getting some PT done and getting my body right. And uh, I've been actually at Driveline for the last three months. Um, I kind of do a week up there, then three weeks back here at home in Oregon, and then a week up there, three weeks back here at home in Oregon. And uh, yeah, it's been a little different off season for me, the longest one I've ever experienced. Um, but you know, since uh, since getting let go in Korea, um, came home, got my body right, and just got back to work, dude. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I'm really hoping to. Or I'm excited to see maybe I dipped into the Fountain Youth a little bit. Um, and, uh, cause we're starting to see some gains already that I've, I've never had before, just by being able to have this long of an off season, it's been kind of been very unique and, and kind of, kind of a blessing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I, I want, definitely wanted to dive into all of your career. I went back, I was doing my reading. It was your, your career arc is just fascinating me. Your story is incredible. One common theme that I found is just like overcoming adversity. Like even going back to the days of like your freshman year of high school, if you could go back and if you could talk to freshman version of Dan, what advice would you give him? 
There's no way freshman version of Dan would believe this. I mean, when you're getting asked, like I was as a freshman getting asked to like, if you want to stay on the team, it's going to be catch, catching bullpens and throwing batting practice, hitting fungos to, Hey dude, you're going to actually play for a long time in baseball. And I'm going into, I think my 16th or 17th season professionally. And it's just like, there's no way freshman year Dan would, would believe that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's at the same time, like I wouldn't want to tell him anything, just let him keep, keep loving the game of baseball and just keep, keep going exactly how it was because, you know, maybe had I known that I was going to make it, maybe I wouldn't have worked as hard or wanted it as much. If I, if I knew that it was going to be uh, something my whole life, that was going to be a part of it. Um, Cause you know, like genetics play a big role in what we do and no offense pops, but uh, I'm fighting an uphill battle uh over here trying to to make sure I, I i get on the field and stay on the field my dad played ball growing up don't get me wrong like he was he was an athlete himself but not the guy i met and uh you know when i when i got old enough to remember and so it's been uh it's one of those things where i think that younger dan just uh, was just instilled with just loving the loving the game of baseball and uh that all came from my dad though where i just really just fell in love with this sport and so the passion for it's really what kept me around in those those younger years when i kept being told no um, you know, and that was just kind of a common theme my whole life where it's like, I was always kind of being told it wasn't good enough and just kind of kept going. And now it's just to the point where it's like one door shuts. It's like, cool. Uh, next, like, it's just like, I just keep going and keep getting jobs and keep getting outs and keep having fun doing it. And, you know, it's taken me all over the planet. Um, well, I guess not really all over. It's taken me to over to Asia. It's brought me around the entire United States. Uh, there's no way that, a, a kid that grew up on a reservation out in Eastern Oregon, you know, gets to go out and do all this kind of stuff that I've got to do. And so all these crazy world experiences I have, I turned 35 next week and I feel like I've seen a lot of the world that a lot of people don't get to see. And I didn't even get on an airplane until I was 18 years old. So it's just kind of like this whole like big experience that I don't, like, I don't, I don't think freshman Dan would believe that's what we're going to do. Like, I don't think he would believe that's where we're headed in life. Yeah, I, being told no is just such. I I use that as a powerful motivator in just like my own life. But I it's, it's I can't imagine like at that age being told no over and over and over again. Like, so would you say that was probably the biggest motivating factor at that time was just like trying to prove people wrong? I don't know if that was a motivating factor or if it was just like, yeah, you're wrong. Like, yeah, no, this time. But I I think you're wrong. I think that was kind of more what it was like. Or, um, you know, I hit a growth spurt too. Like in between the times of being told no in high school to until I was a little older and, you know, signing a college offer to go play division two baseball out of high school. Like it was like one of those things where it was like, ha, like they thought I sucked. Look at me. I'm going D2. I felt like I was the man. And, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've said it the whole time, my whole life that no matter what level you are, like that's your big leagues. And so like at the time you're right, it was kind of, you know, I didn't make my high school team my freshman year. All right, cool. I could have quit, you know, and then I wouldn't have any of this story, but, uh, you know, I just kind of kept going and, uh, I don't know if it was necessarily a, ha, I showed you kind of thing is more of like, I proved to myself that I'm capable of a lot, a lot more things. And, uh, I think that one of the biggest lessons I learned at a young age was like, don't let somebody else put you in the box and tell you like what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, obviously at certain points, you know, people are the ones paying for your services, no matter what your career path is. Um, and you have to have a certain skill set that somebody desires. Uh, but just because one person told me no doesn't mean like no somebody else will. Like you know, it's just kind of one of those things I realized really early on. Um, somebody said to me when I first get drafted, "You just need one fan. You just need one team to like you. You just need one scout to like you enough to put your name down." 
And uh, that holds true today. You know, I'm out here. I'm basically in the same spot I was 17 years ago looking for a job instead of this time getting drafted. I'm a free agent and I get a little more say in where I go. Right. But like at the end of the day, it's the same thing. I just need one fan. I need one person to believe in me. And I feel like that's kind of the way it's always been my whole life. And so I don't really know anything different. Like I'm started this whole thing when I was 20 and, and 35. And uh, it's just kind of it's, it's the only thing I really know how to do. And we're just just keep rolling with it. That's such great advice. Yeah, not just for just like in life in general. And I feel like you have such a great perspective on that. So that's that was fantastic. Um, you you were drafted in a round though. I had a question about this that doesn't exist anymore, which I I didn't know this, but like yeah, twenty fourth round is right. when you were taken. They obviously condensed that since then. Like, do you think that MLB should have condensed the rounds down like that? Like down from I think it was forty when you were drafted. I don't know. I it's. That stuff's so above me. Like that's the, all those all those rules and reasons why, um, you know, I I get I get a lot of the reasons. You know, you cut down a lot of the teams. There's less guys in the organizations, uh, and you know that upsets a lot of people. But I might not have been drafted had I, you know, had I been been playing college ball today. But also too, had I been playing college ball today, maybe I'd be sitting a hundred because we had all this tech and all this stuff to learn about. Or maybe I would have been drafted much higher because everyone would have known what spin rate was when I was young. You know, I mean, like, who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows what it's like? But um, I'm a big fan of kind of the twofold of it. So I'm, I, I do like the, I, I, I did. I like the fan that I, the fact that I got drafted in a later round because that round doesn't exist, right? So I like the fact that that used to exist. But I also I don't think it's terrible that a lot of these independent ball teams are benefiting from it too, um, and they're getting a lot of good players that are that's kind of turned into another version of like the G league or whatever other leagues, other sports call it kind of thing where it's like, we have other leagues going on where it's like, it's kind of like a draft pool in a sense where guys are there now trying to get back into affiliated ball. And so it's just kind of like just another way to, to, to get to the same outcome. Um, but there was a guy, uh, his name's Jed Hoyer. Um, I forget where Jed's at right now. He was, uh, the AGM of the Cubs when I was a cub, but he, uh, told me a couple years later, I ran into him when we were playing the Cubs and he just, he said to me one day when we were passing by, he's just like, hey, dude, I'm, I'm proud of you. And I was like, thanks, man. You know, he's like, you know, I, we weren't betting against you when we traded you. You know, I told you that before, but we just we we really needed a center fielder. And they were asking we we're asking for Dexter and they asked for you. And he's like, I was like, oh, Jed, it's, it's really all good. And he goes, yeah, well, I've always believed that big leaguers make their way to the big leagues. And so all the guys out there like hear that anybody that, that that's trying to chase this dream, hear that, please, because big leaguers make it to the big leagues. If you have what it takes. And that's on the field. That that's what they care about, right? If you have what it takes on the field, and you put in the work off the field, big leaguers find their way to the big leagues. It doesn't. This game isn't gonna doesn't owe us anything. It doesn't doesn't you know, choose you up and spit you out. But if you just keep going and chasing your dream, like you'll find your way to the big leagues. And I truly believe that, and I've lived that. So um, just knowing that and hearing that, I've heard a lot of excuses from different people. Like you know, I you know wasn't getting opportunity or this or that, and like I kind of came up with an opportunity. Like I was the the lowest round draft pick starting pitcher at every level I was at um, before, you know, it, I was the top prospect in the organization. Like you just, you just create your own opportunity. You just go out there and just be the best at something. And like, that's just kind of like the way I've always lived, the way I've always kind of approached this game. And like I said, it served me well. And I just don't know any different. Wow. That's a great quote by Jed Hoyer. I love that. Yeah. I, uh, I had a question about another GM specifically the one that drafted you back in Oakland, right. Billy Bean. Um, Obviously, I mean, you can't say Billy Bean without saying Moneyball. 
uh, big fan of that. What what was it like playing for him? And yeah. like, what do you remember about like the little things that like the organization and Billy did that was so different and made them so good at what they did? Um, you like the people that they have in place in Oakland are just like built different. Like the the the, the guys in charge, the pitching coordinators, the infield coordinators. A lot of these guys are still there from when I got drafted. Um, they make you feel like you belong. They make you feel like you're the best player. That they make you feel like they're they're truly, genuinely working with you. Like you know, I never felt like just a number in their system. I felt like I didn't feel like an asset. I felt like I was like a, a person to these people. To the point now, where I could call Gil Patterson right now and he'd answer and just start talking like we saw each other yesterday, even though we haven't seen each other in years. And it's just like one of those things where like the relationships that were cultivated when I was with Oakland, um, have just like still just like grown over the years, even though I haven't been there. And I think that's really what they do really well. Obviously I got a chance to play with the winning Oakland years. Um, I didn't have to deal with the mess that the ball players there have to deal with right now. And just like all the outside distractions is what I mean by that. But it's just like all the, I was there going to the playoffs. Like I was very fortunate that my first three years, first parts of three years in the big leagues was where I was on playoff teams in Oakland. And we had that, that young third baseman, uh, Josh Donaldson, that was pretty decent for us over there. And so, um, you know, it's just like a wholly different thing. Oh, and Sonny Gray, the rookie just signed a three year, $75 million second free agent deal. You know, it's like, it was just a different time in Oakland. Um, but the, the things that I really loved there was like, you just like, you knew the people, you knew the people in charge, they were approachable. They talked to you. Um, I don't think I talked to Billy Bean or anybody until I was in the big leagues, but I feel like that's pretty normal for any 24th rounder. Like, what am I? Hey, Billy, nice to meet you. Thanks for drafting me 24th (laughs) round. Thanks for the 8,000 bucks. Like graciously appreciated. Um, you know, like that just doesn't happen. So, um, but yeah, I just felt like they, whatever they're doing for their, 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 their little magic sauce over there that they're they're cooking up back in the day, um, you know, good for them because what like the run I was a part of was really fun and we were a low budget team but we didn't know any different like we were all happy to be in the big leagues making money and winning baseball games like that's what it was all about so um, they just do a great job like I said of, of making you feel like a person not just a number because I can't say that's true with everywhere I've been like there's definitely been places where I felt like I was just an asset and. I was a depreciating asset in the moment that they felt like diminishing returns. And these are all just business terms that are just sound really over the head of what baseball should ever be, but that's what it is. It's a business. Let's not forget that. Um, and so I've definitely felt like an asset and I've definitely felt like a person in this game. So it's uh, just a different mix of where you're at, but like you to answer your question much longer than you might've anticipated. They make you feel like a person over there. I like that. No, I, yeah, I was going back and watching some of the video. Cause like, yeah, that was such a great time in Oakland baseball. The Coliseum was packed every night. It was like, was was that around like when Grant Balfour was doing his like whole entrance song and everybody was going crazy? Oh yeah, like, that that looked like a ton of fun. And and obviously as a former A, like, w- what were your emotions when you found out that they were going to re- going to relocate and move to Las Vegas? Yeah, my heart broke for so many of those passionate fans. Um, like, just like they're still Oakland fans. Not a bunch, but they're still Oakland fans that that hit me up all the time, uh, just because like I've been pretty pretty open uh, to conversation with people um, on via social medias over the years. But like they've uh, just still like I just I really feel for them. The the guy that's kind of 
famous in Oakland goes by right field will and he uh he's just you could tell this guy's just heartbroken like he posted something the other day just like I can't believe I'm actually doing this but he clicked unfollow on the A's Twitter and was just like you could just this guy like I, I knew who this guy was when I was in low A or in high A because he's at those games like the guy does not miss a game like so if the A's are on the road he's at a minor league affiliate and the minor league affiliate used to be Sacramento and and, and Stockton and for those of you that don't know the relationship from that to Oakland. One's about 90 minutes away and one's about the same ish, but a different direction uh, or a similar direction, but different highway. But the, you're not too far away. And, and he lived like about 30 minutes. I only know where he, or he worked at least about 30 minutes away. I only know that because there was a bunch of us that stayed at the residence in that he worked at. We, a lot of us lived in there during our rookie seasons. And so we actually, we then we met this guy, when we were stocked in ports and then we run into this guy when we're in AAA, and then we see him in, when we're in the big leagues and then we end up walking into the hotel lobby where we're staying and, and he's working the front desk. It's just like, you, you just, this guy's just an absolute passionate A's fan. And just, just a, like that, that's who my, my heart hurts for, you know, again, it's a business, it's all this stuff. And, and, you know, I, that stuff's all above my head, man. I dropped out of college. Those people that are running the show up there, like just, they went to way, they went to extra school. You know what I mean? And then they jumped into the real world of business and they've been doing all that stuff for me. Three years was enough. I was out. Um, it's worked out, but I promised my mom I'd finish someday. Anyway, back on track. They, uh, <laughs> they, uh, that, 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 that's who my heart hurts for is for those fans in there. Um, and then, you know, excited for the people of, of Vegas to get some sports too. Like as much as it sucks for that, you know, it's kind of like the, the end of an era and the beginning of another um and uh it's just kind of i just hope that a lot of those fans are able to still follow and be passionate about their team either that or they're all gonna jump ship and go be giants fans and just like be the most welcomed people ever and the giants are gonna have a massive fan base of just like this metropolis that they now have full control over so there's just so many moving pieces but uh shout out to will dude i feel for you i love that yeah just like the per you don't you don't think about like the personal like fan like relationships that are cultivated in the game but like that's that's incredible yeah people like him and people like these people that show up to the coliseum and you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot of people at the coliseum these these past couple years but the ones that were there though those were the real like true blue salts of the earth ace fans and yeah those those are the people that are really really going to be affected by this um i had a question though because i went back and i was looking because i saw in 2012 i think you led all of professional baseball in strikeouts when you were called up to the uh to the oakland A's. um and i was reading like your scouting report and even just like knowing how you pitch now it's like you know, it's like 90, 92, I think is what they said. I, I'm so fascinated by how pitchers that don't have like top tier velocity are able to like have success. And obviously you did for a long time. Like, is it like, is it that like, what do you have to have like a different mentality when you know you don't have upper velocity? Like, can you take me through like pitching, knowing that, you know, your fastball isn't what other guys are. Yeah. So, uh, you know who Dallas Braden is? Yeah, so Dallas came down. Uh, Dallas, twenty fourth rounder, also by the way. Dallas came down to the minor leagues one day, and uh, I don't remember word for word what he said, but he basically sat down all the minor leaguers pitchers and was like, "All right, who's a first rounder here? Raise your hand." A couple guys, you know, raised their hand. He's like, "All right, second rounders. All right, you guys get out of here. This conversation isn't for you." And like he let him stay, but like the point was, was he was getting after this like long, probably 15, 20 minutes of him talking to us. But the point was, was like, uh, I forget the people's names that he was talking to specifically that he knew where he was like, Hey, 
I'll use myself in this bar where he'd be like, Hey Dan, like, yeah, you don't have Steven Strasburg's fastball, but he doesn't have your slider. He doesn't have like, you might not have this, but he doesn't have your sinker and he named somebody else. He might, and he just did that for everybody. And he was just saying like, you know, when you're up on the mound, like you're the best, like you are the best, you have the best fastball, you have the best change, you have the best slider. And if you don't have that mentality, like get out of here because you ain't going to get it done. And this is like the year after he threw his perfect game. So like we all had like utmost respect, like this guy's getting it done. This guy's doing his thing. Um, and there is just like so much truth in that where it's like when I'm pitching, like I don't really care that I don't throw. I wish I threw a hundred. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like I act like I do. Like when I'm up there pitching, it's like, I, I believe in myself so much that it's like, I might as well be throwing a hundred because I have what it takes to get you out. Go ahead. Anybody get in the box. I'm better than you. And it's just kind of the way you have to think. And I think a lot of that is stuff that they ingrain in you as Oakland A's minor league pitchers, or at least they used to, where that mentality is just what I came up with in the sport and what I came up with as a pro that like, I just don't, I just don't, I'm just getting repetitive on this, but I just don't know any different in that where it's just like, I'm the best there is go ahead, try to get a hit. I'm going to challenge you in the zone. You're probably going to swing and miss. Like I was taught to throw sliders in the strike zone because you have swing and miss stuff. All right, cool. I don't even know what that really means. I'm a 20 year old. I've only been pitching for a few years, but it sounds great. And you just start doing it and you start having success with it and you just believe in it. Um, but what really took off for me that year you're talking about was um, Jill Patterson, the pitching coordinator. I've been working with me for years on trying to find a change up. And that year it finally like clicked. It finally worked. And it was like all of a sudden I had this weapon to get lefties out with. That was just, it was a game changer for me. Like literally a life changer, actually. Like it was just one of those things where it's like all of a sudden I was not just a two pitch pitcher to right handers and kind of a, a, a spotty two pitch pitch. I was a three pitch pitcher to both sides of the plate, started using change of suppose. So like really learning that third, like plus pitch was what really like was beneficial for me. And um, at the time too, now we can quantify it a little bit, but like I throw 90-92 back then, but I threw it with a ridiculous amount of ride on the fastball where it was like 22 to 24 inches of ride where like the average ride is like 15 inches. You know I mean? Like just stuff we just didn't know where it's like, man, why does everybody swing through Dan's fastball at the top of the zone? Like we didn't know. Like no way, there's no way to, your eyes can't quantify. Well, you know, we think then no, like we just were guessing at that point, but now we can quantify it. We know why it was working back then. And there was like two guys ahead of me. Uh, one was Estrada and one was some feller named Kershaw that had more ride on their fastball than me. And so uh, a couple of guys that really just showed, like paved the way for, for game planning for me, obviously a lot different for Kershaw for me to learn, but like for me to like watch, I can see how like they're using their fastballs because I had a similar fastball at the time. Cause this wasn't like 97 to hundred Kershaw. This was like, you know, a little, a little lower velocity. I still couldn't throw as hard as him, but like, I could, I could see how he was using his fastball, like kind of deal. So uh, just really trying to, you know, just get as many ounces as possible. But like, I felt like I was throwing a hundred and I wasn't, but like not many guys were back then either. I mean, it's only 15 years ago, but like not many guys were throwing a hundred, like maybe a couple. And like, I felt like I was a, I was below average, but I was like really close to the average where it was just like, now we just keep seeing velos creep up and up and up. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just like, it's great for the sports, more entertaining, it's more everything. So, um, I love it, but yeah, I don't really, don't really know much other than the fact that I felt like I was 
throwing a hundred, even though I wasn't. And I was the first one always to whip my head around and check out that 90 up on the, up on the scoreboard too. Check, checking out that philo. It's just like something about pitchers. You just have to know, you just have to know what you're throwing. And uh, I, I didn't care. Change up. Just don't want to know. Was it 82? No, it was 83. Ah, let's go. Feeling good today. You know, just like, it's just like one of those deals. You just have to check, you have to look. And uh, it's, you know, uh, I said earlier, you know, that whatever level you're at is, is, is your big leagues. Well, I think kind of goes the same thing for pitching, whatever, however hard you throw, that's your hundred. Like, so if I'm, if I'm, if I'm topping out at 92, if I'm getting 92 that day, you better look out. Cause that's, it's coming in hot, you know? And, uh, I had a teammate for a long time, really good friend of mine, Tommy Malone, um, uh, never been accused of being a hard thrower. No one's ever accused Tommy that in his life. Love you, Tommy. And, uh, he's, he's in there and he's like 87, 90 and just dotting and just punching out. One of my favorite ones was like, he, he punched out, uh, it was like these, these three fellers. They were pretty good. It was like uh, Hunter trout and pool holes. Maybe it was, maybe he broke their bats or anyway, it's just these 85 mile an hour cutters in. And they're just like, these guys are just getting so frustrated and they're just getting so mad. And, uh, I was talking to one of them the other day and I was, or a couple of days afterwards. And I was just like, man, like, is that, is that, is that Tommy's pretty tough to see, huh? And they're like, dude, it doesn't matter who you are. We have to time you up. And like the harder you throw, like the less time I have to make a decision. Right. But with his fastball cutter change of combination, it doesn't matter. You could be throwing 80, topping out at 80 and he'd be getting me out. Like he's just pinpoint command with good stuff. And it's just like, it's just not hard. And I think like I learned a big lesson there that it was just like, huh? So, you having to time me up and it's like one of those things that my pitching coordinator gill was probably like if i said it to him he'd be like you dumbass i told you that years ago we're like i'm just like all of a sudden it clicked where it's like well it is really just about messing up your timing so i want you to hit it i just want you to hit it incredibly soft at a terrible launch angle right at somebody but it's just like messing up someone's timing is really what pitching is all about and so uh just being around a lot of different styles of pitchers uh really kind of helped me learn who i was as a pitcher you know, I, I had a guy on my team, Jared Parker, just throwing these 95, 97 mile an hour bowling ball sinkers. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try that. And like, well, you threw 91 and it didn't sink. So don't do that. You know, it's just like learning who you are as a pitcher. Um, and then uh, th we, we had another saying where it was just like, stay within yourself. And that was like something where it was like, you can't be someone you're not. Like, I can't go up there and pretend like I have or all this Chapman's fastball, albeit I'm right handed. He's left. But you get the point. Where it's like, I can't go up there and pretend like I have something I don't. Like, I need to know who I am. I need to establish who I am, like, in my head. I need to, like, know who that is and just be that person. And if you can just be the best version of yourself, you're going to probably, like, where you end up. So, yeah, my 92 is my 100. There you go. Put it on a shirt. I love that. Who Who is the best? Who's the best? I don't want to say soft tosser. Is that is that, a, is that, a, is that a, a mean way to describe pitchers that don't throw hard? Who's the best guy that doesn't have premium velocity going right now in your opinion the best guy without premium velocity tommy malone still going so i'm gonna say tommy um let's see i don't know i don't know i i gotta be honest i can't say i watched a ton of major league baseball in the last year um i i really haven't you know being overseas uh they're they're getting ready to to get their day started it's like nine o'clock in the morning over there you know it's like it's just a totally different spot so I couldn't even tell you who's really throwing hard and who's not. Um, I'd probably say of the guys that I would assume, unless he had a big velo jump, I would probably say Kershaw is probably the best non-hard throwing pitcher. Um, if we're going to classify Strider as being a hard thrower, Kershaw is not a hard thrower. 
Um, and uh, obviously, we would all take Clayton Kershaw's career. Don't I'm not. This is by no means a knock on Kershaw to anybody listening here. Um, but I'm saying, like, of, of the non-hard throwers these days, I think it's just it's hands down easy. The guy's stuff is elite, and uh, maybe even throw Greenkey's name in that mix too. Both guys used to throw a hundred though. It's like cheating. Like they've, 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 they've come down to my level and I've like been working my ass off my whole career to stay at this 90. And these guys are over <laughs> here just like dropping down to my level. Finally, uh, thousands of innings in like, don't get me wrong. I, I understand yeah. it. But, uh, uh, I think those two guys and obviously Grinky's just a special character in so many regards, but, uh, the ability to throw a change up harder than a fastball at times is like one of my favorite things of all time. So, um, I would say he's probably the, probably those two guys, just two hall of famers. They're probably the best non hard throwers right now. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of not for long media and the breaking bats podcast, the original fudge kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey shore with six locations in Cape may wildwood, North wildwood, stone Harbor and ocean city. The original fudge kitchen makes all of their fudge in store, guaranteeing a delicious product. So stop by and let them know that not for long media and breaking bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. I like that. I had a question about another future Hall of Famer that you play with in Cincinnati. Uh, I might be the biggest Joey Votto fan mm. out there. He's my favorite. And so, like, Brian obviously has told stories about what it's like playing with him, just like his personality, his incredible intellect. Like, when you think about your, your experience playing with Joey Votto, what stands out for you? I got two Joey stories that like just are burned into my mind of who he is. Like he's one of those individuals that like who you see on the interviews and stuff like that is Joey. Like he is just like undeniably genuinely himself at like all times. But like I'm sitting there and like, it was like Jay Bruce and Zach Cozart were sitting down there talking and I wasn't pitching this day. And like somebody said something funny and like everybody laughed. It's like mid game. It's like whatever inning it's like mid game. And like Joey just like is walking by and he just like kind of stares at us. And I was like, Joey, is that, is that not funny to you? And he goes, not right now, Daniel, I'm working. <laughs> like complete stone faced. And then probably walked out and hit a Homer. And I was just like, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's working. And he went full first name. He's working. Um, and then uh, like Joey's like an incredibly like healthy eater. Um, very like just just everything has it's all fuel uh i you know brought up one time about like riding in the car to the stadium and stuff and he's like it's just so terrible for your back and i was like huh like i what like all these things like i never even think about like joey's just on a different level and uh and uh but the the story is so he's a very healthy eater and his birthday was coming up i don't know how i knew it was joey's birthday coming up. i don't remember how and uh every now and then i'll get like uh, is some, a teammate, usually never, never another pitcher, usually like a catcher or, or Billy Hamilton that year, I'd bring him stuff all the time, but Joey made a lot of great plays at first base. And uh, I was like, I really want to get Joey like a, a birthday cake, but I can't cause he won't eat it. So I went to, to whole foods or whole paycheck, however you want to look at it. And, uh, I bought, I bought a, the biggest apple I could find and I put a candle in it and I went and got a card and like wrote like a childish, like. Joey, I'm so thankful for you. Uh, you're doing a great job playing first base. I really like being your teammate. Like, have a happy birthday. Signed, Dan. 
And uh, so I, I had it sitting in his locker. I put there, like Joey walked in at the exact same time every day. So like, it was not hard to like know when he was going to be there. And I put the apple there and put the card there and I'm getting dressed in my locker and tap on my shoulder. I look over and Joey's over my shoulder and just Daniel, that is one of the nicest things a teammate's ever done for me. Thank you. And walked away. And I was just like, you're welcome, Joey. Like I'm, I feel honored that that this was this was hopefully he probably doesn't remember this, but he was just like so so incredibly like thankful that I stopped and got him an apple and knew not to get him cake or cookies or something he just wouldn't eat and just brought him that and he probably wouldn't eat the apple anyway because I had to cut a hole to put the candle in it. But um, he's just yeah he's one of my absolute favorite teammates of all time. Um, super generous, super generous uh, to just like any hotel staff that we ran into where he uh, uh, making sure that the people were taking care of around us that were helping us, you know, navigate hotels and luggage and just everything. One of the more generous people I've ever been around. Um, just such a kind hearted individual and just like one of the most intelligent, funny people, like smart humor to me is really funny. Like dry humor. It's like, you know, I just love it. Um, and just like how just like stoic and, uh, you know, I said two, but I'll throw a third one in there. I was in the batting cage one day and I was an absolute terrible hitter, almost set the record for Ofer to start a career. And uh, I'm in there. I'm like, Joe, you got any, you got any advice? Like, I'm being serious. I'm like, Joe, you got any advice? And he just pops his head up. No, Dan, that ship has sailed. <laughs> and then nothing just left me on red right there. Just <laughs> nope, no advice. That ship has sailed. All right, I'll try to get a hit tomorrow. Thanks. You know, and you're just like, I love it. He's just so incredible. Uh, what a good teammate. What a fun guy to be around. Um, and would uh, you know, hire hired one of the Bat Boys or I think, I think it was one of the Bat Boys to uh, babysit his dog or dog sit his dog whenever we were on the road. And occasionally, uh, the Bat Boy would drive Joey. Joey had a minivan um, where he like took out all the back seats and like there was like a dog bed back there for his dog to have easier access in and out of the car. Um, and, uh, he, it was, which is amazing for any dog people out there to like have that much respect for your dog who's having getting older to buy a minivan and customize it for him. But he, uh, he, all of a sudden they'd be like in Pittsburgh or like in Chicago or, you know, something drivable. Like he, all of a sudden they're in St. Louis and he just had Joey has his dog on the road and like, who am I to tell him he's wrong? He's Joey Votto. Like he's the best first baseman in, a, in as far as you could see around here, you know, he's the best. So yeah, well, incredible teammate. That was a that was a really fun year of my career and my life. Uh, getting a chance to be around all those guys. Uh, we were terrible. We were really bad at baseball, winning baseball games. Um, uh, we were we were like sixteen games under five hundred or something. I maybe am wrong, but I felt like we were like sixteen or seventeen games under five hundred at the end of the year. It was just it was a very long hard year, very injury plagued, and we had a lot of talent and a lot of injury going on, um, which is just it was it was hard uh, to 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 stomach at times, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's really cool. I was actually, uh, actually my favorite city probably that I've played in was Cincinnati. Uh, talk about passionate fans and passionate people around their teams and their sports there. Um, really enjoyed. I'm also kind of a smaller town country guy. So living over in Kentucky was a little more my speed. really enjoyed Miami too, but that's really the opposite of uh, Eastern Oregon reservation life growing up, uh, to be out there yeah, in South beach, South beach living. <laughs> yeah. We were on South beach. Yeah. That's most of the team lived in, in one one building on South Beach. That's a far cry from from yeah. Also, I just think it's hilarious he would go full name. Would you ever hit him with a Joseph, or was that just not the relationship you guys had? 
Oh no, I would hit him with the Joseph Daniel. Yeah. Joseph so Daniel. I would hit him with the yeah, I would I'd hit him with like the full thing. Um but then like an off day, like he had like two scheduled off days like the whole year. Like he was just like the funniest, most laid back, like I'm here to have fun guy. And it was just like incredible to see how this person goes about. This was the year by the way that he hit he was hitting like close to like 200 at like the end of May. And he was like, listen, if I finish the season around here, I will retire and I will donate the rest of my contract. I will, I promise you guys. And he ended up finishing the season hitting 325 or something like that and had like the second best average. He hit like over 400 in the second half. It was just like incredible. But like watching his routine and he didn't change a thing. He just stayed steady. Like my process is my process. I'm going to trust my process. It is going to work. And all this, like, who, who's, who am I to tell him he's wrong? Like, who am I to tell him he's wrong? You know, and it, it was amazing. And it was one of the more fun second half of the season I've ever got to be a part of. And then the next year, I was, I played with Stanton, like, and he was like, go ahead and let's just go ahead and win the, uh, the MVP here. And you're just like, this is incredible. Like, being a part of this, like, watching this guy do his thing now. So it's just like, got really blessed to be around a lot of really good hitters and a lot of really good guys and really good position players. And, uh, it's just, yeah, that was a special one for me though, being in Cincinnati. Um, I really, I doubt he will. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt I, watching him on TV broadcasting baseball games someday would be an absolute legendary thing to, to see and be a part of. Love that. Yeah. I, I can't get enough, but of I could also, it. yeah, I could also see him like just absolutely disappearing from planet earth and like buying a million acres in Canada and like you never see or hear from him again. And then he'll like pop up in like, like you have, like, you've seen the show Dexter where he just like disappeared and like came back. Like, I feel like that'd be Joey. We're just like, you, no one knows where he's at. And all of a sudden, like he's at his hall of fame, putting on his jacket. And then you like, he's gone. And then you see him at like a Reds 50 year reunion. And then he's gone. Like you just, I could totally see him just disappearing in the woods like that because I, maybe that's completely made up. I could just totally see him though. Him, He's not a social, or I guess he is now in social media, but he wasn't back then. So, but uh, yeah, I I would I'd really hope to see him in the in the booth uh, someday, just giving his uh, insights, kind of like the kind of kind of like the Peyton and Eli uh, on during the football games. I think that would be pretty electric. I would pay to watch a Vado cast. Yeah, that would be that would be the best. Um, oh, I, well, yes. Dan, I know we have we only have a few minutes left, uh, so I think you know I think we this might have to be a part two. I, I'd love to have you back on. Maybe we'll get Brian to hop on or something. But yeah, I, I, this has been incredible. I have one last question for you. Um, it's about your podcast. It's about the Journeyman podcast. Yeah. I think that's, I, I said this before we started recording. I just think it's so cool when baseball players have have like used their voice and have a platform for stuff like that. Like, can you briefly yeah. describe like the origin? Um, and would you ever go back and do more? Yeah. So I'd actually, I'd, I'd love to keep going. Um, my, uh, my, my, my host, uh, cause he does all the work. He does everything. I just show up and talk. He's the one doing all the research. He's the one doing all the, the coordinating of, of all the timings of everything. Uh, he got a promotion at work and two kids and COVID's over. So he has to actually go into the office instead of just be around this house all the time. And so uh, it kind of started dying off. But the whole thing was, is our whole premise of it was like baseball is so much bigger than just the, the handful of major superstars that the world sees. The baseball is made up of media personalities. Baseball is made up of clubhouse. Baseball is made up of of merchandise sales. Baseball is made up of, uh, of you know just different brands. Like we had, we've had writers, we've had uh, baseballism like company owners that are all affected with baseball around baseball. We've had 
former team presidents, we've had managers, we've had players, we've had, there's just trying to tell the story of it's just so much more than just the actual game we see. Um, and then trying to get the story of the people that aren't on the face of, of, you know, that aren't the face of major league baseball, people that aren't on the color of MLB the show. Um, cause I would say 99%, obviously I'm making that stat up, but like 99% of baseball players are more like me than they are like Mike Trout, right? Where we're out here grinding to, uh, extend careers and make as much money as we can out of this. And I'm not saying he's not, he just, he's made a gajillion dollars playing this sport. Right. And he's just far better than everybody else that plays it. But the majority of us are in that kind of lump sum of like the average major leaguer, which is obviously still a very good baseball player, but there's a lot of us. And so we're fighting for jobs. Right. And so we're trying to tell that story, trying to tell that narrative. Um, and I'm just absolutely fascinated with people's journeys of how they got there um where they're going we all have such a cool story i've met so many fun people doing that podcast and like nobody really was like you know what i'm going to be the glove salesman for rawlings that's what i want to do with my life but then you get on there and you meet these people and you get to hear how they got to where they got or how baseballism started because one of their friends was going through a life crisis basically and the four of them got together to give him something to do to have a job boom now they're all quit their jobs and they all just work for baseballism. They own it. Like, it's just like, you just, it obviously a lot of hard work and there's a lot in between those, those two, the, in those two statements. But, um, I'm just so fascinated by people's stories and, and, uh, I'm that guy on the airplane that'll sit there and I'll talk the entire flight to somebody just hearing whatever they're doing. And then they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a self-contractor, I have a subcontractor for, you know, just co corporate, big, big corporations. And I just rotate and throw balls. Like I just really don't do much. And I just really try to just hear their stories because like, it's not that I don't want to talk about my own. I just, whenever I, people find out what I do for a living, like the whole conversation shifts. And, but I get to hear a lot of really cool stuff when I just get to be the, the instigator of the conversation and hearing about other people's lives. And I just, I think it's so fascinating. There's always so much we can learn from each other. And I just really like, uh, like, like hearing other people's stories. And that, that was kind of how it all started. Um, I was in South Korea by myself and needed something a way to connect with my my best friend that was back here he's a he's a pastor and churches were shut down everything was shut down it was like early 2020 when we all were just like living in our huts right and uh so he was just like all this extra free time and his wife's a traveling nurse at, the, at this point so he had two kids at home and it was just like dude let's just pour some let's pour some whiskey and let's uh let's try to do this so i'd have a glass of whiskey at 11 a.m with him while he was having a glass of whiskey at on a, at a 9 p.m. at night, you know, the, the night before, it'd be like my Monday morning, our off day. And uh, it was like, we just worked with, that's what we were doing. We were just having, having our conversation and, um, and, and it took off a little bit for us. And it was a lot of fun to, uh, to kind of have those memories and share those experiences. Um, and then, so we did like an episode with a guest and then we also do an episode where I would just kind of tell my story. And we took one episode and talked about you know, high school ball and college ball, both colleges, and then every single minor league and every single major league city I ever played in, we did an episode four and we just reminisced and talked about stuff. And like, it felt like therapy to me after a while where I was like, I forgot that I was like talking to an audience and I was just telling my story to my buddy who hadn't heard yeah. it either, by the way, which made our podcast really cool. He didn't know like 98%, another made up stat of like what I was saying. And so we were just like, going and we were just feeding off each other no scripts no nothing and we were just having fun talking and so i really hope i can get back to that with him but uh you know time will tell but 
Uh, I'm really sorry. I do need to get going though. I got to get my little man over to basketball practice. I promised mama that I would, I'd be the one taking him tonight. So if you'd have me, I'd love to be back. Uh, always enjoy it. I love talking, uh, especially or talking. I love talking. My wife accuses me all the time, but I love talking about baseball specifically, yeah. uh, telling stories. We could have gone on for hours about just that one year with the, uh, with, with the Cubs, with the Reds. Sorry. I played for 10 different clubs. It's, they all kind of start to get jumbled up after a while. So, um, yeah, dude, I'd love to be back. Thanks for having me. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. You can't see the let it go running like a video. You're haunted by the